What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Valley coming at you with my co-host, Andy Bailey. As our super crazy season preview train keeps rolling, we are very pleased uh, to have on Mason Ginsburg from Bourbon Street Shots of the ESPN True Hoop Network to talk to us, as you may have guessed by now, a little bit about the 2017-2018 New Orleans Pelicans. How are you doing tonight, Mason? Uh, pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, thank you for uh, coming on. You you had kind of expressed that uh, you were on previous podcasts and there was a lot of pessimism surrounding the Pelicans. So let's hope that we don't send you into depression doing this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's uh, it's always a. Uh... The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right, get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just forty bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. A mystery with uh, injuries for New Orleans, but, uh, but apart from that, at least we have a little bit of uh, reason for optimism heading into this year. Andy is basically Mr. Optimist, so I, I think you might be satisfied with whatever his takes end up being on this team. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, so just to start off, what was kind of your general impression of the Pelicans' offseason? For some reason, it feels like they did a lot and not a lot at the same time, and I can't really explain it. Maybe it's just the injury to Solomon Hill feels overwhelming, but the roster doesn't look too different, and yet at the same time, the backcourt rotation seems completely different. So what was your just general impression of how they did this summer? Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of uh, ups and downs, I think. I mean, starting with uh, the, the Drew holiday uh, resigning, I mean, it was, was an overpay. Yeah. It wasn't drastic, but it was definitely an overpay, but at the same time, 
small markets, especially like New Orleans, uh, you, you often have to overpay to keep guys and so or, or to sign guys. And so I think it was it was a fine move, not, not anything that was like totally unexpected. Um, and then kind of moving on, it was uh, parts of it I liked, parts of it I didn't. I was very I was very skeptical when we decided to uh, to, to uh, hard cap ourselves essentially um but and the problem with that was drew holiday's contract so um without going into too nitty-gritty um because there's a lot of uh, unlikely incentives in drew's contract all of those all that money will apply to the hard cap and so the pelicans are kind of stuck by because they use the uh the, the non-tax mid-level and so they they basically have to are, are very restricted in that light and it just didn't seem the juice was worth squeeze because basically the reason that they hard capped themselves was to sign rondo and darius miller and frank jackson who they signed a three-year deal so like it just at first it was really questionable why they thought they had to go into the non-tax mid-level to sign guys like that um but i mean the subsequent moves have been good um so that, that's that was really the one bone i had to pick with the offseason is why you know why hard cap yourselves uh for guys like that if they had signed darius miller to like a minimum deal uh, instead of like a 2.1 million dollar deal they signed him to they could have not hard capped themselves and so um but i mean after that it was i mean good signings ian clark for the minimum uh was was great in my mind um they needed shooting and he can help there um and then the obviously the solomon injury was uh, of course like you just get used to that being a new orleans a new orleans fan or, or in any way affiliated with the team um but they did a decent job recently of replacing him with tony allen and so uh they made some good moves uh based on the limited resources they had available but um there were i mean uh, definitely positives and negatives for sure so you briefly mentioned rondo and maybe it's just i love weird nba lineups for some reason and i'm like I get why people are down on the idea of Drew at the shooting guard and trying to play those two guys together, but there's a little part of me that's just really excited to see what that looks like. I'm, I'm very curious. And will Tony Allen start at small forward? Like, how does that whole sort of backcourt wing rotation shake out? And are you as pessimistic about the Rondo Rondo holiday pairing as as some other people seem to be? Uh, I'm not super pessimistic about it. Um, I thought the what they paid him was was a little over what I would have liked to, but it was, it was fair. I mean, they, they're Drew holiday played a decent amount of the two with Tim Frazier last year. And I, I do think Rondo's an upgrade from Tim Frazier, um, especially mm-hmm. given what, what new Orleans wants to do. They want to, uh, I mean, they want to mo- keep the ball moving. Uh, they want, you know, they want like a passing and cutting offense. Um, and so I think, I, I think uh, Rondo, I mean, for all of his flaws, I mean, he has some strengths and so it, it can work. The spacing obviously could be an issue, but, um, but I, I mean, I, I don't mind it. Um, we'll, you know, we'll see how it works out, but I mean, they, they didn't, like I said before, they didn't have a ton of options to really spend a ton of money once they, once they retained your holiday. So, um, given the limited resources they had, I mean, it was, I thought it was, uh, you know, tolerable. But Rondo's also been a pretty good to very good shooter off the catch amid pretty good volume as well over the past two years and and drew holiday uh, his shooting percentages weren't great when he was off the ball necessarily last year at least for spot up threes but he shot better in basically every season before that so i i think that i don't know if it's a blueprint and i'm not i'm not sure if ronda will be as open as he was when he was in chicago and sacramento when defense is really just still abandoned him but if he's going to be even a league average 
three-point shooter, that's going to help the Pelicans' offense a lot, and I would think, at least in theory, gives them better than a puncher's chance of looking at this backcourt combination of Holiday and Rondo and saying, hey, this wasn't really that bad of an idea. Yeah, I mean, Rondo's volume hasn't been super high, and he's never going to make a team go out and guard him, I don't think, especially not with uh, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins down there. They're going to let him shoot all day. And so, yeah, I mean, if if I, I don't I don't think he's going to take a ton of threes, but if he can make them at at least a league average clip, again, I'm skeptical just because I, I tend to prefer looking at his – well, not prefer, but he's got a pretty horrible free throw percentage. And that, to me, is a better indicator uh, over a larger sample of, of shooting. And so I'm not exactly optimistic for his – shooting i feel like a regression might be coming but uh he will be open so um you know, i think and, and i do i mean i think with drew holiday i think it was more of a uh, aberration he's been a, an above average three-point shooter for the bulk of his career and so uh i'm, I'm not worried about drew but I, I i do think rondo may fall back to earth a little bit are we uh so with solomon hill's injury and just sort of a general lack of depth on the wing are we going to see a lot of three guard lineups like rondo holiday and each one more and how would they survive in those situations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's definitely uh, a, a likely scenario, and I and I think that the concerns are kind of uh, a little bit overblown um, in that sense. I mean, yeah, can it, will Etwan Moore be able to guard guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron? No, but yeah. I mean, I'd say seventy-five percent of the league has you know teams that uh, play a small forward who's not terribly imposing and a guy who you're not worried is going to go off for 30 against you. So uh, mm-hmm. it can work. And obviously the signing of Tony Allen should also help. Um, I mean, they'll be able to kind of piece it together. Um, but I do think a, a lot of three guard lineups will be, uh, will be in the cards. I actually really, I mean, I'm like I said earlier, I'm kind of excited for that. I, I like funky lineups and I think I'm with you. I think on some nights it's going to be problematic but what they can do offensively with those three guys and and cousins and davis is really interesting to me yeah i mean rondo is obviously again not not the best shooter and that's putting it politely but if you have drew holiday and it's one more i mean Moore is a a very good three-point shooter he doesn't he needs to get his volume up the pelicans need to do a better job putting him in situations where he can uh he can get some more open looks. I mean, he he, sh- he shot basically uh, what Eric Gordon shot percentage-wise, but Eric Gordon takes twice as many. I mean, if you look at uh, Langston Galloway before the Cousins trade, Galloway was chucking him up, uh, I forgot, per 36, but maybe like 7 or 8 per 36, something something ridiculous. And so that's that's really what the Pelicans need is, is fearless three-point shooting from, from guys who can make it. Um, even if you're just an above-average shooter, not a great one, they need to, you know, make, make defenses at least think about it. Uh, rather than just kind of packing the paint. How do you – and again, those – like you guys said, the three-guard lineups will be super fun, and I, I do think – we know Tony Allen can defend up. We've seen it for so many years, and I, I still love his ball denial, and Etwan Moore can probably get by for some minutes at small forward, but during those times when you're going to play, let's say, two guards plus Tony Allen, and then you'll have Davis and Cousins on the floor maybe at the same time, how does the offense kind of work there when you're dealing with – you can't say so many non-threats from the perimeter, but Tony Allen sometimes is like playing a man down on the offensive mm-hmm. end. And I know a lot of people talk about how he can be a good finisher. To me, it always only seems like he's a good finisher when he's just wide open in transition. And I just don't see much for him beyond that on the offensive side. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and that's that's fair. But I think uh, Michael McNamara, another writer for our site, um, he does our, our website's podcast. And he, he made a good point the other day. And it's basically along, along the lines of, it, apart from the Steph Clay 
uh, level of shooters, you're not going to have uh, you're not going to find many guys who are going to convince defenses to play off of players like Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. So, I mean, if a defense has to make that choice, even if you're, you know, if it's just it's just going to be tough to really try to draw defenders off of guys like that. I mean, so I'm not as far as it's concerned. Yeah, he's he's not a good shooter, but I don't know if he does anything worse for the spacing of the offense than, you know, Solomon Hill, for example. So um, it I mean, they're going to have to run offense through the big men. I mean, that's I, that's the plan when you have two top 20 players uh, as as your bigs. And so um, I think that's part of the reason they brought Finch in. Um, I, th- I think that's a that's a nice fit, and hopefully we'll be able to see some more creativity on offense running through those two bigs. Is that like something a- the I guess new like the fans are super like the Chris Finch like poaching that seems like a very big deal. And when it happened, it seemed like New Orleans in general just looking at the fans and even the Twitter reaction that they think that this is going to have a visible impact, and they were excited about it. Do you really see there being, I guess, that much aesthetic change to the way the offense was run compared to the end of last season? Um, I, th- I think, I, you know, I think wrinkles. Uh, I, I don't know if the offense is going to completely be, you know, totally revamped. Uh, I think just, first of all, having a full training camp with this team together is going to do wonders. I mean, they, they added cousins mid season last year. You could, I mean, everyone got really excited. And then the first game after the all-star break, I remember uh, against the rockets and they got demolished. It was like a 30 point loss. And so it was just tough to, to figure things out on the fly. So just having that time and, and camp and, you know, they've already had a couple uh, player only practices at Kentucky. And so it's um, I think that by itself is going to is going to really help the team. And then uh, I definitely I, th- I think the, the Finch hire was not was not an accident after seeing what he was able to do in Denver with Jokic. And uh, and so I, you know, will it be a totally new offense? No, Alvin Gentry's not going to give up the reins. But uh, I think you'll definitely see some more. Uh, some more fun uh, creativity, uh, especially having to do with those two big some some pick and roll action. I mean, we saw we saw the highlights from last year when those two guys huh, were were playing off each other, and it's it's a lot of fun. Boogie could be that kind of Nikola Jokic high post distributor, right? I mean, he's shown an ability to pass the ball over the course of his career, especially the last few seasons. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's been a weakness for Anthony Davis. I think we were hoping that his passing would have gotten uh, would have improved a little more than it has to this point. Of course, that's splitting hairs for a guy as good as AD. But yeah, um, but but yeah, I mean that's definitely a strength of Cousins. Uh, I'm not. I don't know if he's quite the passer that that uh, Nikola Jokic is, but Cousins is definitely a good passer. I think he averaged five or five assists a game last year. So, um, so I mean that's that's definitely. Uh, a, a, a part of his skill set that I think will be capitalized on. To me, that's kind of, I think that's a big part of, uh, I, I'm one of those people who still thinks that Davis and Cousins can work. And I think that's a big reason why. I think Cousins, so another thing that a lot of people are talking about is spacing issues with New Orleans. I think Cousins has shown an ability to hit an average rate. Like Dan said, Rondo has. I don't think it's going to be as big a deal as everyone's making out to be. I can see why there's concern, but to me, there are good signs. For this pairing is kind of what I'm saying in a long and drawn out way. Um, are you sort of still on the optimistic side of this combo too, or are you just kind of um, waiting for things to implode, like it seems like some people are? Oh, um, I mean, I, I, and I think we'll get back to this when we start talking about uh, what the predict- predictions for the season are. Right? I just think talent wins, and 
you know, I think a, a big three of Cousins, AD, and, and Drew Holiday, unless there was some sort of glaring reason why you like why this this shouldn't work. Um, I'm you know I I'm optimistic about about this team being being pretty good, assuming uh, and this is you know knock on knock on wood, but assuming that they're healthy. Um, and so I mean it worked last year. It just it it took a, a few games to get it going, and then at the end of the season when they got eliminated from the playoffs, they you know they, they shut the bigs down. But that the month of uh, the month of March they were a top five team in, in net rating. And so, um, I mean, there were obviously hiccups. It's still, it was still a work in progress, but in, and again, I think, especially with the full training camp and, and more time to really, um, figure things out, uh, before the season starts, I'm, I'm, I am optimistic about this, this pairing. I think I'm so. Still- I just, I'll go ahead. Bales. I was just going to put an exclamation point on that. I was, I looked this up, um, while I was talking, um, cousins and Davis, I just did last 15 games of the season on NBA.com. And, they had an 8.8 net rating, and the true shooting percentage for the team when they were on the floor together was almost 60. So there was definitely some evidence in place that this can work. Sorry, I cut you off, Dan. No, I mean, I was actually just going to make that same point, but with the final 10 games, they were... And it seemed like the defensive pairing worked almost right off the bat, and they were over their last 10 games, and I know it's the end of the season, and I know it's only 10 games, and it's only 250 minutes, but 109 points per 100 possessions when those two were on the floor is what they scored uh, which is encouraging and I think I, I think I'm still working through a lot of feelings about this team but the Cousins and Davis pairing it doesn't even register uh on my list of concerns and as Mason was talking about with Drew Holiday he's been uh, probably one of the most underrated like cutting guards for I don't know how many years like he's really good uh when he has to go back door just slash down the middle or if he doesn't have the ball and he's moving a lot so I'm very interested to see if they're going to incorporate more of that I think now it's, it's been one of these roles where we saw it a lot from Avery Bradley we see it a lot from Gary Harris in Denver off of Nikola Jokic if, if you have someone like that that just makes it a heck of a lot easier and then like Andy said you have Cousins who was a very good three-point shooter I thought last season so I, I actually really like this offensive dynamic and the fact that I think at least statistically and the way Davis plays defense, I just love watching it. You, you just point to all those things, and it doesn't seem like this should be or even register on the list of concerns that surround this team. Yeah, I mean, the the, the one concern last year watching, because Davis, Davis gets a, or not Davis, Cousins gets a tough, uh, some tough love when it comes to defense. It, he When he's engaged, He's a he's a good defender. He's not great, but he's good. And so I think the key there is you saw a lot of times, especially even in New Orleans, Cousins was going three point line to three point line and not even not not getting down low on either end. And so um, I, I think people have been raving about how he looks slimmer. And you know I I'm not from an endurance perspective. I'm I, I think I'm not concerned. It's more of an effort thing. So if they can get him to buy in and and really be that. You know, baseline to baseline type player. I, I think that'll really that'll that'll do wonders for this for this Pelicans team. Are you so? Because this is his last year, he's on an expiring contract. Are you at all worried about his free agency situation? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a concern. Um, it, I mean, it, it, there there is a nuclear option that if if things really don't work out, you know, if you know, whether it's because of injuries or just because, you know, the locker room explodes from Rondo and Cousins. And, you know, just, I mean, I, I, it could happen. I don't think it's likely, but it could happen. And do, do you trade Cousins? It's, it's a it's a fair question. Um, one of the good points that Nate Duncan brought up when I did the pod, preview podcast with him was, you know, if it does blow up, 
how valuable is DeMarcus Cousins? What's his trade value? Because you have a half year Cousins left. And yeah, you get his bird right. But he hasn't, you know, the Kings have never won with him, even though I, my, my head explodes. People try to use that because the team, the guys he's had to play with. I mean, a third year Isaiah Thomas was the best player I think Cousins has ever played with before Anthony Davis. And so it's a ridiculous argument, in my opinion. But I mean, I mean it, stability it, at the coach. And yeah, that, I think there's I mean, a lot that goes into that. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, how, but how, if he, if he really can't figure it out with, with Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday either, like how valuable is he on an expiring deal? Is it even worth it for the New Orleans to trade him, even if it doesn't go right? I mean, if the Pelicans say, Cousins, we're going to give you a five year max contract. I mean, other another team will definitely give him a max deal. It wouldn't be like the Pelicans are the only one offering it, but they can give him more money. And I mean, I I, I think it may not even be worth trading him if it, if if things blow up. And so, um, but either way, it's it's definitely a concern you have to worry about. And then if Cousins walks, I mean, it's a it's a only a matter of time before that you know Dave, the Davis questions start. I mean, it's this season's just so big for so many reasons. And and I mean, the the focal point of that is. DeMarcus Cousins in his expiring contract. This, I guess, it's not necessarily tied to next season, but it, since it's Cousins related, it kind, it kind of is. What is, if Cousins leaves, or I guess if they opt to trade him, which that point, the point you relayed from Duncan, uh, that's a really good one. Uh, it, what, what is the steps from there for the Pelicans with Davis? Is it, you know, you have two years technically before he explores free agency. Mm-hmm. So do you try and shop him then? Do you just count on the designated player extension really reeling him in? Because we've seen teams, or, or so it seems, trade guys in part because of it. When you look at uh, the Jimmy Butler situation in Chicago, Cousins himself from Sacramento. I don't know if the Pacers would want to give it Paul George $200 million if he qualified after next season. Or, or do the Pelicans... Or maybe they try and carve out more cap space. They that's when you look into stretching a sheik and try and get another guy in free agency to really go all in for one more year with Anthony Davis. There would be so many different directions they could technically go at that point. I'm sort of interested to see what you would think might happen. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a bunch of reasonable options. I mean, I, I think uh, if if Cousins walks, you got to go all out next offseason to try to replace Cousins with another another quasi star or star. And if you can't do that. You have to at least think about an AD trade. Um, I I don't I'm I'm not saying you do it. The the DPE is definitely something you have to hang on to. And I don't I mean if I was a betting man and that was the only thing that you had to keep Anthony Davis, I don't think Anthony Davis stays. He's got he's making more money than he can have ever dream of, and he also has plenty of money from endorsements. So like I don't I don't know if that's enough to keep him if the team's not winning. And another wrinkle with this is I'm interested to see what's going on with the uh, with the the lottery reform and it, i mean if if you're if suddenly tanking isn't as beneficial anymore the return on uh you know the return on sucking effectively is is reduced then i mean what is it even worth it to try to completely like blow things up and rebuild do you or do you at the very least keep him for one more year and you know try to you know try to sell him on uh and take one more shot in free agency the following summer uh, before you, you know, then he'd have one year left on his deal with, a, with another player option and and then and figure it out then. Because I, I think that's that would be the that might be the better course. But I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely uh, like I said, it's the season just has so many, so many uh, implications for this franchise. And I mean, I, I think if things don't go well um, this season, they miss the playoffs, even if they can get Cousins to stay. I mean, you might. That, that, I mean, the front office, everyone might get fired. Gentry might be gone. Dems might be might be gone. Um, you, do you do you say cousin? Do you give Calipari a blank check and say come coach AD and Boogie? I mean, oh, like God. it's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of questions. But uh, 
uh, it all hinges on uh, uh, number one cousins and two how 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 well this Pelicans team can put it together. It, I it's uh, Del. I mean, Del Dems definitely saved his job. Are we in agreement there with that Cousins trade? Just because if you look at it now, with who ended up on the Kings, it amounted to Zach Collins, Buddy Heald, and uh, what was it, Frank Mason? Uh, like that's what mm-hmm. you traded Demarcus Cousins for, and that's an incredible yeah. value for the Pelicans. But for yep. Alvin Gentry, like this isn't the team or necessarily the style you're trying to implement now. This isn't the team he was hired to coach. Like I don't want to compare. It's definitely not. So I don't want to make the comparison. But it's like with the Bulls a little bit. You bring in Fred Hoiberg, who's supposed to be coaching one style, and give him personnel that does something different. And the same thing, kind of, it seems like to an extent, is happening with Gentry. And it's not. I'm not saying that that makes it unfair if he's fired. But maybe you need the right coaching in there to make this work. Or is Gentry open-minded enough to really let Chris Finch take more of the reins on offense? Might we see the Pelicans who were uh, not the best. They were a pretty bad offensive rebounding team overall last season. Uh, is he going to make or allow Cousins and Davis to kind of become that offensive rebounder since you have these two bigs now? So I'm really that that's another interesting wrinkle to me too. Is that maybe this pairing could work? But is you bring up the front office, but it's also the coaching. Are those right pieces in place to ensure that it works? Yeah, I mean, and I think let's let's not like uh, go, you know split hairs or anything, but. Gentry's an average coach. I right. mean, I, I think we were all excited when he was hired. I mean, ever, a lot of people love the hire, but I think when it comes down to it, he's a very average coach. But the question is, he, I don't think he's going to win you a ton of games, but he's not going to lose you games either unless he unless he won't adapt. And so that's your point. If, if if he can't adapt to the different players that he has on his team, I mean, if any coach can't adapt to the players on the team, then they're not a good coach. And so that's uh, – that, it's definitely a key point, and I, I think this the team, especially with the Tony Allen signing too. I mean, you've got a lot of guys who are like you could build a pretty solid slow half court team that crashes the offensive glass. Uh, I mean, the personnel's there, and so uh, you know w- what's this offense going to look like? It's a it's a it's a big question. Um, and if if Gentry tries to fit a you know a, a square peg in a round hole, I mean, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna go well, and he he shouldn't keep his job. Um, so it, you know, if he can adapt to the, to the personnel on his roster and, um, you know, and make this team successful, then, I mean, yeah, then he can, you know, he should, you should be able to stick around. So this is kind of related to, it's completely related to the coaching discussion. Um, in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk with, with how many stars are on, are joining forces on teams of staggering substitutions. And I didn't, I honestly didn't pay close enough attention to the Pelicans down the stretch to know how Gentry is with that. I mean, in my mind, there should never be a minute of a 48-minute game when you don't have either Cousins or Davis on the floor. Is that something that he's figured out yet? or is that, is, I mean, a lot of fan bases are wringing their hands over their coaches not being able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was generally how, how things shook out for, for New Orleans is one of those two was pretty much always on the floor. Um, the trick now, especially with the Solomon Hill injury, is that the, the Pelicans had... Like Solomon Hill was a starting small forward, but between him and Dante yeah, Cunningham, the four. yeah, they had between him and Dante Cunningham, they had guys who could who could play down with one of those two bigs, um, and, and so uh, Dante Cunningham's at this at this time of this recording is still a free agent. I was um, just going to ask if you think they'll go if they'll finally uh, sign him. I mean, I've heard stuff that there might even be some bad blood between those two, uh, Cunningham I, I, Pelicans. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that. I mean, I think. Um, basically, he, he declined his own player option and bet on himself, which is a fine bet. I mean, he was his player option was for about like a little over three million, I think. 
And so mm-hmm. uh, the Pelicans can offer him, but because they traded Pondexter and dumped that salary, they they have enough room under the hard cap. They can use Cunningham's bird rights and and pay him more than you know the minimum contract he can get from Minnesota. And so I think that's what we're, they're what we're waiting on is is Cunningham going to take less money to go play in Minnesota, or is he going to uh, or will he take a little bit more and come back to New Orleans? Because he'd be very. I mean, he's he's the piece that like, as far as depth is concerned, that that's the apart from being able to add obviously like a three and D wing, he's the kind of guy they need as a guy who can play, you know, three in a pinch, uh, a decent small ball four. Um, Cause he was, she shot really well from the corner corner threes last year. And so um, he can, he, he's good enough to get rotation minutes for them. And he's, he's especially again with Solomon Hill injury, he's, he'd be, he'd be very useful. And so, um, so hopefully they can add him and and for their fifteenth uh, guaranteed roster spot, or else we're gonna have to look at that. The Pelicans brought in Martel Webster and Perry Jones for uh, <laughs> uh, for for training camp. So um, Gosh, replace Quincy Quincy I'm, Pondexter who hasn't played in I'm two years. I'm here for with the Martel Webster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so. here for the Martel Webster resurrection. Absolutely. Yeah, let's go. Let's go for it. Who, Ch- no, Chase Buttinger revival never started because Chase Buttinger really never started either. Yeah, I. I yeah, those names aren't good, but it's weird that this is where we're at with Cunningham, that he's looking at these two teams that I they need what he does, but they're also so stacked at the position that he needs to play most of the time at. Uh, he definitely has the mobility to, to play some time at the three, and I think almost a fifth of his minutes or more than a fifth of his minutes came to three last year, but he's not – I guess it helps in a pinch, but like we're talking about a guy who's best off at Anthony Davis's position right now, and it just seems – I, I guess it's a better option than just having Diallo now, I think, is on their depth chart as the four. It's just very uh, – I, I mean, Mason said they need a wing, but there's not – there's no wings out there that are going to be like, oh, hey, like we should go after him instead of uh, Cunningham. So it's just a weird – it's just a completely weird spot that they're in. Yeah, and I do think they like Diallo. Um, I mean, he he – Got limited minutes in the NBA last year. He played well in the NBA when he got time. He played well in, in the D League, and I, I mean he's not ready for a real meaningful role yet. But I do think they want to. They, they really want to give him a role, and so I mean that's that's definitely an option. Uh, but I, I do think they're going to look for if, if they can't bring in Cunningham. I mean, <laughs> one guy we forgot to mention who has got the who's at least been working out a little bit with them is Josh Smith. And oh man, would that would uh. Would Twitter burn if uh, I would love that <laughs> Josh Smith uh, was signed by New Orleans? But uh, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, like like you said, we're we're talking about reserve like rotation minutes barely uh, that that shouldn't make or break this team either way. But um, again, I think he he kind of fits what's left for New Orleans to find this off season. I actually think he fits it really well. I mean, yeah, he's he's at the same position is Anthony Davis, but you don't want Anthony Davis playing 48 minutes and you want, I mean, I would want some of Anthony Davis's minutes at center too. So to me, like a three, four combo guy is exactly what they need to sort of make that staggering work. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, it's, it seems like a a perfect fit to me. Yeah. And then one guy we haven't really talked about yet, who's probably going to be the starting small forward now is is Darius Miller. And so he's not going to you know, he, he, he won't play. I, I don't really see him playing at all at the four. He's more of a two, two slash three. But, uh, I mean, Pelicans really liked what he was able to do and uh, over in Europe. And he can shoot the three um, and which and defend. I, I think defense defensively is 
where we're going to have to see if he can really hang because um, he played in New Orleans for a, a couple of years before he went to Europe. And he was just really he was just kind of there. I mean, he didn't he, he wasn't going to kill you, but he wasn't going to do anything to help you. His usage rate was was it felt like it was zero percent. Um, but uh, I mean, they really think that he can be a positive contributor this year. And now with the Hill injury, he's going to have to be. I just had a really crazy thought, too. I wonder if Gentry will ever, like, harken back to when he was with Dentoni and go super small and run three guards and Tony Allen and then one of those big guys. I mean, you can only get away with it for maybe a couple minutes at a time, but I I don't know. I think it's something that, again, like I've said a couple times, I like funky lineups, and maybe I'm just talking to myself now, but that seems, like, possible to me. Maybe maybe some gentry nostalgia if he uh, if he really does <laughs> if he does pivot and, and decide that uh, realize that it, it's best for this roster to slow it down and maybe when uh, he gets a few minutes with Boogie on the bench and eighty at the five he'll 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 try something like that. Yeah, I mean over I mean obviously you want as much Cousins and Davis together as you can, but there are going to be those short stretches when you got to figure out something else. Yeah, I mean I'd pay money to watch like a. Clark, Clark Holiday, Moore, Allen, Anthony Davis lineup. And I, it's counterintuitive just because Boogie's not on the floor, and so it has to be in small bursts. But something like that would be super interesting in terms of both spacing and defense. Yeah. Is there anything uh, – so is there any – what do you think it would take for the Pelicans to kind of guarantee that this is a situation DeMarcus Cousins would come would want to come back to? Is it just give him a taste of the playoffs? for the first time in his career, and I think there's still, and you even said, and I think we're all in agreement, yeah, if they keep him, there's still a chance that they could miss the playoffs and he would want to come back. That five-year max could loom large to him, but is there, mm-hmm. do you see a finish uh, that th- they should strive to reach or that you think would make it his free agency basically a non-issue? Does it have to be they really need to contend for home court advantage against projections, or if they just sneak into the playoffs and they're one of the eight teams in that wild west and they've kind of done enough to sell him on that long-term future um so i mean playoffs is the baseline for me i mean do i think he, they could still keep him if they don't make it i mean it's possible i definitely put it under 50 percent. but playoffs is a start and also not just just don't get the eighth seed and get blown out by golden state um although i, I did enjoy i don't know if you read matt moore's piece on how the Pelicans match up very interestingly with Golden State, so maybe they can. I mean, they're not going to win a series, and maybe they can steal a game. Um, but I mean, just just be competitive in a playoff series as a sort of a stepping stone. I mean, and also if if Boogie can help to resurrect his reputation a little bit in New Orleans. I mean, if he if he really you know can calm down and, and people start to talk about because he cares what people think. I mean, you you read the 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 article with with Mark Spears, the interview that he did after the trade, right? Uh, with, Sacramento. I mean, like he, he really cares about things like that. I mean, and also he has family mobile. So he, that seemed like an important part, but, um, but just, you know, having him like having his reputation start to kind of turn around, um, you know, I, I think that that would really go, go a long way. And, you know, because if, if that reputation starts to really bounce back and then suddenly he just, he bolts for, you know, for another team, does that, you know, does it really negate anything that he built up? I mean, uh, you know, lots, lots of questions, but I, I think, uh, mostly comes down to winning games, obviously, and so I think if they can make the playoffs and and at least like fight and and make a give a solid showing in a first round series, even if they don't win, I think that would be that would go a long way. Uh, their series in well, that was 2015, right against the Warriors in the first round. That was actually that was a I watched that series. And they were that just, was fun. Yeah, there was that was a fun sweep. 
yeah, unless I was <laughs> I was uh, in grad school at Austin at the time, but I actually that was I came home to surprise my mom for her birthday, and we went to Game Three, and that was just that that was the game where they they blew out they blew like the fifteen point lead in the last six minutes, and Curry right. hit that three. It was pretty much like I was I was fifteen rows behind that three pointer, and it was just. I don't think I said a word the entire ride home. It was just a dagger. It was it was so brutal. But I mean, it was you're right. It was still a fun series. Uh, I mean, every every game was at least it was close for most of it. And then, you know, talent pulls away. But uh, it was it was definitely a, a, an enjoyable series. And hopefully they can, you know, take it a little further than they did then. This kind of probably uh, backtracks a little bit, but I, I forgot to ask it when we were dissecting the, the Boogie Cousins pairing is is Davis's own three-point shooting at all a major factor of in- ensuring this thing works out? Because he shoots them now. I think he's ta- he's taken 240 plus over the past two season total. Uh, he hasn't yet hit that 33% mark. I mean, he wasn't brought into the league to shoot threes, and I'm not saying he should become a volume shooter. But those dual big pick and rolls become a lot more interesting if he can really pop out beyond the three-point line really quickly, or if Demarcus Cousins drives, you can kind of have him be with the rest of the shooters beyond the arc and knock down those shots do you think that's an important factor to see a leap in his his efficiency from there or is it just really that's kind of also a non-issue as well I mean he's got a very strong mid-range jumper I think it can be particularly beneficial if they're playing if Cousins and AD are playing with Tony Allen and and uh Rajon Rondo because then you have you're going to have some serious uh you know shooting issues there um but but really I'm I I think he'll continue to improve that shot. I'm not, like you said, he has not been good shooting the three in his career so far. Um, I know that's something he cares a lot about and wants to keep improving. Um, but uh, I'm not, I'm not too worked up about about his three point shooting. I mean, I think he can get to that 33 percent mark or something along that. At least makes it, you know, uh, reasonable value shot, even if it's not, even if he's still shooting a Josh Smith percentage. Uh, it's, you know, it's it would be it would be an improvement, and, I, and I'm just. I don't think that's really where the Pelicans have to be concerned. Um, I, I, I'm just I'm not too worried about it. In terms of mechanics, his his shot seems like it should extend out to the three point line at some point. I mean, the his mid range and like uh, just inside the three point line range looks really effortless. So it's something that I think is within his capability. Obviously, yeah. It's just I mean, obviously, still a small sample. Um, I can't remember. I think it was maybe Nylon Calculus or something um, where I think it was you need about 700 three-pointers to really determine if a three-point shooter is good or not. So uh, still, we're still working with a pretty small sample, things considered. But uh, I, I mean, I agree with you mechanically speaking. So if let's say we, we've been very, very optimistic um, over the course of this podcast and we weren't the listeners we might be. Um, let's say everybody stays healthy what is the worst case scenario? What is what does it look like if things go wrong for this team? See, and and the it's, for me as uh, as someone who's been a fan of New Orleans for so long, you you including both. If this team stays healthy, and worst case scenario, it just doesn't seem <laughs> yeah, doesn't make any like sense. Like moronic almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, if this team stays healthy, uh, so if we're talking like seventy five plus games from the from the big three, I just. I don't know. I, I I said before. I feel like talent wins games, and I just don't see how a, a, a team with those three players being healthy is much worse than league average. I mean, yeah. I, so I, I say. I mean, saying a a healthy worst case scenario of like forty wins sounds overly optimistic, but it's just it's how I it's how I feel with with I mean, that with 
two top 20 players like that. Uh, I mean, maybe at 35, if, if, you know, if Boogie just loses it and, and the, and the Pelicans, or if the Pelicans trade him, obviously that would, that would probably drop the, uh, the win total. But assuming that he, he stays, I mean, I, I mean, 35 would be like awful if, if those three guys, if Drew, AD and Cousins are all healthy. I just, I just think they're close to a league average team. If those, if the, those three players are, are, you know, stay healthy. I think that's totally fair, especially given the way it looked down the stretch last season after they had a little time to adjust. What do you think, Dan? What's what's worst case for him? I don't really think I would have to add anything to that. Uh, if they move him, like Mason, if they move Cousins, obviously their win total dropped down. I, I The West is just so deep, but at the same time, when you're just looking at it, after you kind of look at if if we assume the top four is going to be San Antonio, Houston, Golden State, and Oklahoma City, Maybe there there just doesn't seem like there's a huge gap between everyone else. Like the Nuggets and the Timberwolves have been penciled in as playoff teams, and that's fine. But you know they they weren't playoff teams last year, and the Minnesota Timberwolves people prematurely clown, crown them this like forty something win. Some one person I know or a few people thought they could flirt with fifty. So when you look at the Grizzlies and the Blazers, you know the Clippers and the Jazz lost some talent over the offseason, I just feel like they have to be, even if they're going to labor through these injuries, even if there's a steep learning curve for not even the Davis-Cousins holiday trio, but just some of the new talent they brought in. They're trying to figure out life with who is going to defend uh, the toughest wings on the night. Is it going to be more? Do we have to have Allen on the floor more than we thought? Can Darius Miller be on the floor uh, for a while? I would think that they should get uh, in the 40 range as a floor, but I can't help shaking this feeling that they might be the team – in the NBA that has just the widest window from, or one of the widest windows sure. from uh, floor to ceiling. And, and that's just kind of where, like, I could see them, like Mason said, if they could get 35, but I could also see this team being a 50-plus win team because, and as he's reiterated, like, just look at some of this talent. Just, like, just look at it. Like, it. It looks like it should figure things out. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, think I'm, I'm, go ahead, Mason. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you, and I, I think I mean I look at my I've been pretty solid on my my playoff picture for the bottom four seeds. I don't know what order, but I mean I like Minnesota, Denver, the Clippers, and uh, and New Orleans as the last four. Um, and that's no no disrespect to uh, Portland or um, who am I who am I forgetting? I mean Portland, Memphis, uh, or or Utah. Uh, but I, I just I don't know. I, I like I like Clippers collection of players now, even without Chris Paul. I think they got a pretty decent return back. And uh, if Gallinari is healthy, I think that's a playoff team. Um, and then obviously Denver with uh, Jokic and Millsap. That's uh, that's probably the second big, best uh, big man pairing in the NBA. And you could probably make it at least a case that it's better than New Orleans is. And so um, and obviously Minnesota's got a lot of talent. They've got to figure they got to put it all together. Um, I mean, continuity is going to be an issue there, but I think I think those are those are my bottom four seeds. But uh, to your point, I mean, that could go in any order. I mean, I I don't think the gap is that wide or even I mean, obviously, the two or three teams right below them. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarly talented teams, but I I just think the top end talent for New Orleans get like, you know, wins out for me, assuming they can stay healthy. Bales, he just I feel like the one playoffs. Are you okay? As much as it pains me to admit, that's that would not surprise me. Um, I think the team that I'm sure about after those top four is Minnesota, and really? I I might cap it at that. Um, just because I think Jimmy Butler is so good, and yep. I think Carl Anthony Towns, um, especially the second half of last year, he, he clearly became a superstar um, in my mind. So I I think they're in Denver. I love as as 
you both know as uh, followers on Twitter, I just I can't stop talking about Jokic. <laughs> but there's a little piece of me that's still a little concerned about Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and, and how it will all that front court is together. weird too. Like I get the Jokic Mills that pairing is fantastic. Too many but why do you forwards. have? Yeah, we're gonna have Juan Hernan Gomez playing small forward is not a good idea. Exactly. And like so the let's only give way to get forty-one Gomez, million. Yeah, the only way to get a guy like him on the floor is to play him at the three. So, what long way of saying what I'm saying is, I have a top five, and then I think there's a clump of teams like mm-hmm. six through ten, maybe even eleven, and I think New Orleans is in there, and I think their floor. Um, I, I do think I agree with Mason. I think talent generally wins out. So I would give them a pretty high floor too, um, high thirties, maybe even 40. And then mm-hmm. again, that's like worst case scenario. So I'm, I think I'm basically long way of saying, I kind of agree with you guys. That is- I will say I've had a, uh, I've, I've been as, even though I have the jazz outside of the playoff picture right now, I've been, uh, it's hard to fight the, uh, the cousins over uh, Gobert crowd, but I'm I'm firmly in the uh, taking I'm firmly in taking Rudy Gobert over over cousins, so uh, I'll, I'll I'll give you that one. All right, you're back in my good graces. <laughs> it is kind of crazy to say, even if we say their floors high thirties, low forties, it's it's just a little bizarre to say that about a team that has two top twenty players, two top fifteen players. I'm sure some would argue two top ten players. Uh, if they wanted to, so it that that also just feels weird to say it. I get why we're saying it. It has to do with the rest of the team, but star power is a big deal, and the Pelicans have these two mega stars, and they rank. I would say definitely. I would say they're both top fifteen. We know Davis is. He's probably closer to top five than not. So to have those two top fifteen guys and to be talking about the team saying, uh, you know, they have the floor, the low thirties, uh, high thirties, low forties. That just seems so odd and, and off putting to me. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, I think. I think more than anything, it has to do with. Well, it's two things. It's a. It's the small sample that I think people are just looking at the entire second half of the season in aggregate, and not really picking apart the the the, uh, the the important nuances that really exist. And granted, one month is not a big enough sample, but also, uh, you know, if you look, if you just look at after they've really said, holy, holy crap, we've got to channel, totally change how we play now with having two two of these bigs. Prior to that, we had Anthony Davis playing center most of the time. And so um, I, I that, it's that, and it's just the depth of the Western Conference. I mean, there's just so much talent. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally understand it. But I think uh, I think the Pelicans are in a position where they're more likely to uh, surprise people than, than disappoint people. So do we have like a I would add to that. Oh, go ahead, Bill. Sorry. I was just going to say to add to that, I agree with um, – the Western Conference is really tough. It's a small sample. I think we've mentioned Gentry's coaching a couple of times. I think that could mm-hmm. play into it. And I think while some of the stuff that people say about Cousins is overblown, um, I think the root of the concern is fair mm-hmm. um, to, to, to be wary of locker room problems with him and Rondo. But again, I mean, our worst case scenario for them really isn't that, that bad. It would be a better season than last year. So um, anyway, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say, do we have – well, Mason, do you have like a gut feeling on what a more exact number would be where they're going to end up? You say you have them in that bottom four of the playoff picture. Yeah, I, I have them. Um, I told Nate 46 wins. That might be, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm a win, win or two optimistic there. I think maybe 40, 45 is, uh, I think, uh, where I, I, that feels 45, 46 feels right to me. Um, I, I think they're around the, I have him as the seventh seed right now. Um, the Tony Allen signing, for as, as silly as it seems, it helped because 
Solomon Hill is playing 35 minutes a night for New Orleans last year, and losing him was, uh, I mean, granted he's an auxiliary player, he's not one of the big three, but it mattered. And so um, getting Tony Allen to replace a lot of what he does, particularly defensively, is uh, will, will be important. He's not going to play the same minutes load, obviously, as Hill, but they'll be able to piece it together. And I think, uh, I, I mean, uh, 8C would be problematic, um, obviously, because of Golden State, but I think they, if they can get to the seventh seed, they can, I, I think they can at least, cause trouble um it'd be really interesting if, if if houston's team gets that two seed uh that would be that would be a and very interesting contrast in style so i mean with golden state would be too but uh that's i think that's kind of where where i am right now where would you put him at bales oh man i think i'm also gonna go mid 40s i'll say 45 and i i'm gonna say they barely missed the cut i think it's gonna be another year even with as good as um the West is, I think it's, and, and so those teams will beat up on each other. I still think the eight seed is going to be like high forties. I think they're just barely going to miss. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of lean more towards uh, both your projections. Mid 40 sounds about right for this team. I, I think I could see them. Right but I around. could also see them getting to like 50, that's which the, is, that's the problem is I, I'm, my yeah. win projections on them are going to change at least a dozen times before the season takes <laughs> off. Uh, you, if you could sit here and I said the Pelicans are going to win 53 games, it sounds asinine, but it, it, I, they have the star power to do it. Yeah, it's not absurd. I won't sit here and say that. I do think, um, <laughs> <laughs> I do think they're going to end up in the mid 40s. Probably, I, I think they're going to be around 43, 44, maybe 42. And I, I think I just have a little bit too much faith in the Jazz to keep chugging along without Gordon Hayward and George Hill. Um, to displace them from the playoff pitcher, and I just don't think the Grizzlies or the Blazers are going to be there. And I, I feel like that eighth seed is going to come down between the Pelicans and the Clippers. And I, I think at this point I'm kind of inclined to go with the Pelicans at number eight, which is not the seed Mason's going to want them, and he said it multiple times. But I'm super low on the Clippers, and I keep getting lower by the day. And I, it's some of it's ineffable, but uh, the the defense looks like it could be a mess at certain points. And to pay Gallinari, who's an offensive stud but needs to play time at the four, and you have Blake Griffin at the four who you just maxed out. So I I don't think I've had the Pelicans in the playoffs all offseason, and right now I actually think I, I would have to put that eighth spot between them and the Clippers, and I think they'll get in. Mason with the power of persuasion, he got you. Yeah, he, I think I don't, something. Maybe he should be a preacher because he, he really just <laughs> must have sold me on it. Well done, Mason. <laughs> I, you know, I, I do what I can, but yeah, it's it's just – it's it's so tough. I mean, I am like I said, if Gallinari can stay healthy, which I think Gallinari is a bigger bigger injury risk than any of the, the big three on New Orleans. I mean, did Anthony Davis left a bunch of games early because I think the Pelicans are super conservative with him, making sure he can stay healthy. Um, but I mean, I, I think Gallinari I think is more of an injury risk than him than Holiday year. Cousins or or uh th- or, or Davis. So. I think you could say the same about Blake Griffin too. Yeah, fair. So they yep. might if they have the two biggest injury rates of that matchup and yeah some of Dave I think like you said the Pelicans are super conservative with him and there was also the year that they shut him down towards the end of the season so his games played yeah there were issues but his games played and and his minutes played at points they're kind of skewed not by design but by you know he was shut down at one point and again you said they take a super conservative approach because he's so damn good and at the certain points you knew you weren't going to be an X why would you risk it. Mm-hmm. And especially now when he's not going to be playing up against as many centers. Um, that's something that, you know, I mean, that that was part of the rationale that went into the awful signing of uh, of, of Ashik was, you know, Davis didn't 
really want to play center. And so they had to find someone that they thought was capable. And obviously he fell off a cliff after that signing. But I mean, the fact that he's not going to have to bruise with centers as much and, and cousins can take that load off of, off his back. I mean, that should help his health uh, uh, prospects as well. Did we go the entire podcast without mentioning Omar Sheik's name before that? <laughs> I think he may have come up. Somebody mentioned stretching him. Oh so. yeah. Oh wait, I might have dropped that. But <laughs> I mean, he's uh, he's that he's that far off the peripherals of the rotation. I would say I, I want to see. Uh, Mason said Diallo is really raw, but I'd rather see him on the court at points. Oh, uh, I'd rather see Ajinsa than him too. Yeah, that that too. I remember I had higher hopes for Ajinsa last year because there was that report that he was like changing the way he ran and. Uh, it seemed like all this nuance was going into it, and now it's like, well, he's on kind of this super cheap contract that's really – it's not a movable, but it's probably one of the worst super cheap contracts in the league. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's the, the, he was much better under Monty Williams, and, uh, yeah, it, it was just – it hasn't worked out very well with with, uh, with he and Gentry. I mean, he's he's seven foot two. He's got a very – he's got a decent mid-range jumper, and but his the problem originally with him was his foul rate. Uh, he, he, you know, fouled. He couldn't stay on the court because he fouled so much. And now it's just, it's just stylistically, it just hasn't. He, they haven't found, really found a place for him. And so, and it's gotten to the point where you're right. Like it's a, they would have to attach a draft pick. I mean, they had to attach a second rounder to Quincy Pondexter's three point seven million expiring. Uh, and Ajins has got two years left at five mil a year. I mean, how, they, uh, that's not going to be an easy one to move. And so, I mean, is what it is. Uh, this is a weird way to wrap up the podcast. But at what, point, like, are you okay with them stretching Omer Sheik? next summer or are you of the mind right now like they just need to eat it like finish the contract or at least get it to the last year because next summer you're looking at assuming you can't dump him at that point uh they'd be paying him about 4.7 million for five years which is it's not a lot of so money but it's still the a lot last of year of his deal has only three million guaranteed so it's not so i mean if they were to stretch him next summer it's it's about 15 million over five years um, which is like the one single redeeming thing of that awful contract is that they can, because that's only 3 million guaranteed in the last year, they can stretch it over a longer period. And so, I mean, if, if they need, I mean, it's situational, right? If they need the space to really add another piece that, that makes, you know, it makes the team that takes the team up a level and you do it, but otherwise may as well just, you know, hang on to the dead weight. So, I mean, and I, I think they may be even collecting insurance payouts on him right now because uh, he's, he's, uh, he's not, He's not healthy. He's like he's been sick since like the All Star break last year. He got this stomach thing, and oh, man. Uh, he apparently he's like still, yeah, he's still not recovered from it. And so, um, but yeah, it's uh, especially with uh, Tom Benson, who's not, you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna go into luxury tax unless the team's a title contender. And so, I mean, if they're if he's just sitting back collecting insurance payments on on Omer, um, at, then you know why why move him or I stretch him unless you really. You really think that you can help move, take this team up to the next level? I completely forgot about the partial guarantee in the last year, so I wouldn't. I, I don't think there's a circumstance that I would stretch him. I guess, it, like you said, if it's the difference between getting a high impact guy in free agency, I totally didn't. I just forgot about that three million partial guarantee. It's too much fun to say they signed him for five years and sixty million. I think so. I just. <laughs> I got. I got so frustrated. Even lo- some of the local media here were getting that wrong when when. Uh, because I mean, part of it, he's got a million in unlikely incentives every year, uh, and the incentives, by the way, are also hilarious. They're like sixty-five games and like uh, all-star or, or like all third, second team or first team all defense. And it's like they're they're, they're pretty funny, um, but uh, which is kind of mean. But uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, I I honestly, Dan said that was a weird way to end the podcast. I thought it was great. I, I would I would talk stretch provisions at the end of every one if it was up to me. Shout um, out Omer Ashik. 
<laughs> Thanks for joining us, Mason. That was good. That was just great insights from you over the course of the whole show. Um, let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter and find your work. Uh, so Twitter's just uh, my name, Mason Ginsberg, and uh, I said writer for uh, for Bourbon Street Shots, the ESPN True Network affiliate for the for the Pelicans. Um, not writing as much as I used to, but I know what. Well, as soon as the season really gets going, uh, obviously this is a dead period, but we'll have a lot of we we got a lot of great talent on our site, and got to, um, so definitely come come check us out. Some 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 good stuff will be churning out pretty soon. Mason also does really good Twitter threads for everyone who just needs more of an incentive to follow him after this. His Twitter threads are phenomenal. Uh, average, average at best. Phenomenal. <laughs> you can follow Dan on Twitter as well at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. As always, we really appreciate any uh, reviews or ratings you guys give us. That always helps uh, podcasts climb the charts and whatnot. Um, of course, we have to end the podcast. I think Dan probably thought for a second while I paused that he might get away with uh, not hearing it. But we're going to do the shout-out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77. And Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each when you buy four. Look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.